we're back. Yeah, new year, new us. Yeah. Right? We, we say that. Job. I think we say that every time. <laughs> uh, new podcast, new us. It's not a new podcast. I mean, no. It's a new episode. New episode. Yeah. Um. It has been a while. It's been a long while. I don't even remember the last time we did it. I think it's been months. Has it been? It was before Christmas. Yeah. So I think we need some life updates. Oh. <laughs> Anything exciting going on with you? No. I survived January, which felt huge for me. Well, yeah. I hate winter. Yeah. Um, Even though winter really didn't start till February, like weather-wise. True. Gosh, I'm trying to think of any life updates. Literally nothing. Yeah. that's Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's good. There's nothing, like, scary happening. Oh, sure. Good. Have you traveled at all? Nope. <laughs> Have I done anything interesting? Nothing exciting. Solid no. Kind of like most of the world right now. Uh, I I have gotten weirdly into bird watching. I'm not sure what that <laughs> says about me. <laughs> but uh, I get this pretty. This says way too much I know. I know. I've always liked my bird feeder, but in the mornings there's this huge red fluffy cardinal, and I'm promise you he chirps till i look out the window he chirps at me and then yeah. once i look at him he's happy you know i don't I've know been, what that means i've <laughs> been listening to the birds as of late because i also hate winter and john slept on ice today he's probably not gonna tell you but we all hate no, winter. no we're not gonna talk about that <laughs> we uh, all hate winter scarlet takes a tumble that was me this morning <laughs> um yeah no so watching the winter olympics and i guess like the chinese tradition is that uh, one of the seasons, there's 24 seasons, and the first season, seriously, did you watch the opening ceremonies? I did. Okay, so did you pay attention to the opening ceremonies? Oh, ceremony? I think Lydia was screaming in the middle, so I had to go put her back down to bed, <laughs> so kind of watched uh, it. Yeah, there's the season of child screaming, <laughs> um, which is also called winter. <laughs> no, uh, there's 24 seasons, and the first season is like... The anticipation of spring. Yes. Okay. I did see that part. Yeah. Which I yeah. thought was really cool. Which, yeah. I was like, what a cool way to think yes. and avoid winter. Yes. Is to think like this month, February, is like the, <laughs> the month of anticipating spring. Mm-hmm. So even though we got tons and tons of snow, mm. uh, I've been out early in the morning. And what I'm noticing that's different, even though it's really cold and lots of snow on the ground and ice, it sounds like spring birds are singing. That's awesome. Yeah. And it gives me just a little bit of hope. Like spring is around the corner. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. So Susan and I really haven't been up to much uh, <laughs> in our personal lives other than Mm-mm. hanging out with the birds, apparently. <laughs> so sad. Uh, I do want to note that um, it has been a while since we've done a podcast. And the mm. reason behind that is uh, usually we don't, when we don't record a whole lot, it means that we are busy doing our jobs. Hopefully there's just been a lot of, you know, time with students and time with family and time with leaders and that type of stuff. So um, sometimes this podcast is very regular and sometimes we've got to take a season where we've just, it's not that we've run out of content. There's always a million things we can talk about, but um, this one's actually been on the docket for months. I think we, yeah, the last episode (laughs) was like, Hey, we're going to talk about this next month. And then we waited a few months. Um, yeah. Not because we had to keep working on the episode, but because there was just a lot of life going mm-hmm. on. Like nothing big and exciting, but just a lot of little <laughs> things happening that we don't want to bore you with. <laughs> no. So 
Susan, what are we talking about today? Hawks and hornets. We're talking about birds. Yes. Oh, oh full man. circle. Yes. Oh, we didn't even plan that. Maybe we did. <laughs> Maybe awesome. we did. I really wish we did, but oh, we didn't. That was awesome. Yeah, yes. we are. Um, we were talking about hawks and hornets, which is something we came up with years ago mm-hmm. when we did a parent conference. Uh, during something we called Love Month for the students. And yeah, <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Um, it was an awesome month. We did a lot of great things. We did like a D group date night and the whole, like all the Sunday night we were talking about like relationships, that type of stuff. Um, but behind the scenes, we were doing something with the parents and we had uh, podcast episodes where we kind of focus. So you can actually go way back into our catalog and look up those episodes where we interview some people on some of these things. Um, those are more individualistic and things to kind of dive a little bit deeper in. In this episode, we're we're kind of taking a turn in what we call the Hawks and Hornets. And the reason we call it that is because through childhood, there's this conversation of the birds and the bees you need to have with your children or what's expected to have with your children. But uh, what research is finding, and as we've done youth ministry long enough, the conversation should never really stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost gets a little bit more difficult and a little scarier. And so and it's the hornets. Yeah. And, and the, the hawks. hawks. <laughs> so like predators, uh, predator versions <laughs> of the birds and the bees, something that's going after you and attacking you. I know it sounds <laughs> funny, <laughs> but it's so, it's so true. It's so true. It's and so, true. Uh, so we're talking about things nobody really wants to talk about in mm-hmm. general. And especially nobody wants to talk about with their teenager because it's, absolutely not. It's super awkward. <laughs> and no teenager wants to talk. No, they don't. About it. No. <laughs> with their but parents. just like any parent, no parent wants to have the birds and the bees conversation. No. And uh, but yet, whether they are told by their parents or the world will tell them about the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. So those are really your options. And same same goes all the way through their upbringing, through when they leave. Um, for a job or for college or whatever, whatever it may be, the world is going to be telling them a message about these things, or you can also enter in on that conversation. So that's why we're having this conversation right now, uh, because we believe that the conversation um, isn't one and done, but it's ongoing. Absolutely. Which makes it less scary, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. The more we've gotten into this, the more that we've talked about it, the easier it's become. And um, quite frankly, because the world is so obsessed with some of these topics, mm-hmm. teenagers are more than willing to talk about Absolutely. it than ever. Mm-hmm. So it's not as hidden as it was even like when we were growing up. It's not this like we can't talk about it thing anymore. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners, we want you to know uh, as we were prepping this episode, we um, realized, hey, we've got a good amount of content here. Uh, we're actually going to break it up into two uh, episodes. One is. This one's more of like a foundational, like what do we all need to know and be on the same page about? And then what do we do with that information will be episode two. So hang on for a two-part. This is the first part of that. So um, we really want to kind of start with the teenage years. What, Susan, would you say are uh, absolutely foundational or generally experienced by most people in their teenage years? Um, Noticing attraction. Um, I I don't know. I was trying to think of how to explain what I think is like becoming very aware of yourself, like your own body and your own desires, and then like 
realizing other people might notice you too. You know, like it's not just you anymore of like, oh, that person's cute or, you know, it's like yeah. a shared experience of you're just more aware relationally than you have been. Yeah. And it's a little messier and trickier yeah. and yeah. fun. You yeah. know, it, it's not always like gloom and doom. It's fun. Um, yeah. You almost like try to read, you begin to start reading other people's minds or you assume yeah. that you can. Oh my gosh. Like, I wonder what they're thinking about me. <laughs> yes. Or you assume you know what they're thinking about mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. It's really in the teenage years where that really starts to mm-hmm. uh, kick off. It definitely happens before then. I know my kids, who are not teenagers, um, are starting to think about that type of stuff, mm-hmm. but it becomes totally life-altering in the teenage yes. years. Yes. Like, y'all have heard us talk before. John and I have our oldest kids are the same age. They're both seven. And even them, I mean, like, I'll say for Jack, he's in the phase of, like, oh, I think that girl is cute. I have a crush on her, blah, blah, blah. And it's fun because he doesn't actually know what he's saying. (laughs) You know, like, at this point, it's just fun. Um, But, yeah, as you enter into middle school and high school, it becomes something that is either really painful or really um, anxiety producing or self-conscious or, you know, like it's, there's so much else going on in those years that are like fueling the undercurrent of all of those feelings, which is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of things that happen in the teenage years, but for this conversation in particular, um, that's a little bit of it. Everything becomes a little bit more complicated because of the relationship awareness. Um, but for the sake of this episode, we really want to focus in on the fact that During the teenage years, sexuality and the awareness of sexuality goes from zero to 100. At first, uh, it it starts to occur within them, and then they become aware of it, which is such uh, what we call the middle school years, where it's uh, super awkward (laughs) when they're not aware of their sexuality, but Mm -hmm. it's starting to overtake who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that starts to kind of flip the other way around, and then they begin to be a little bit more self-aware and start to make adjustments as needed. Um, but the do, the two other big things that's going on during these years is they're trying to figure out who am I mm-hmm. and where do I belong. So these such huge questions. They're such huge <laughs> questions, and like so hard. let's cram it in into just yes. a few years. Um, and obviously, this lingers in mm-hmm. to the college years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a time of exploration. But we're talking specifically during the adolescent stage where uh, they are living at home, and you all as parents still have quite a bit of work to do um, and presence to influence them. Because um, once they leave, it, that that relationship doesn't, it's not cut off, but it's not nearly as what it was. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so different. Yeah, so this is the, these are the years of identity making. Who am I and where do I belong? And when uh, somebody, anybody, is trying to figure those types of things out, what they end up doing is uh, is they start rebelling against things that start to feel mm-hmm. or they become aware of what has been normal. Mm-hmm. And if at any cost they don't like any of the normalcy in their life, they try something that's opposing to it. Mm-hmm. And you can think of that on s- small levels mm-hmm. and big levels. Mm-hmm. Um, from the food that they normally eat, and they're like, oh, I'm going to try eating this. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, you never eat that type of stuff. It, they begin to explore. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we like to say is um, in the middle school years, they really begin to wonder about things like, oh, like, who am I? And then in the high school years, they actually begin to explore those things. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, it's actually for parents. It's very scary because this this constant being, um, this child that has been rather consistent. This again, we're generalizing. So um, this this constant being, this kid that's been relatively the same for nine, ten, eleven years, all of a sudden starts to do really weird things. <laughs> Some stuff they're aware of and some stuff they're not aware of. Um, and we can call those things rebellions, like mm-hmm. little rebellions. Um, and in some ways, big rebellions, depending on the kid and their upbringing and all that type of mm-hmm. stuff. I'm going to pause and say it's normal. Mm-hmm. It's a normal developmental part yeah. of the process uh, that they need to go through in order to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. So our, our, one of our jobs, and we'll talk about this uh, later on, is to, as they are rebelling, um, I, whether in small or big ways, is the important piece is how do we respond to those moments? Mm-hmm. Um, we should become less shocked of the fact that they are going to rebel and explore things that they've never explored before. And um, we should be prepared to respond graciously when mm-hmm. those moments happen and remember often how rebellious we were. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, Susan, were you rather rebellious in I was. high school or middle school? Oh, yes. Actually, that's funny because I was thinking about today. I'm studying First Samuel. Yeah. And just like... It's been really fun to be in an obscure book of the Bible because, well, for me, obscure. I haven't ever studied it. And I was like, oh, it is so nice to see how the Lord continues to be merciful and continues to be gracious despite all of our abilities to completely forget about him. Yeah. And I was, I didn't know we were going to talk about this right now, but just thinking about that in my life of how the Lord has responded to me when I have been so blind and rebellious and his hand on me and his like plan for me was like continuing on, even though I was acting like a fool. And at that point in my life, I knew better, (laughs) like, you know, um, It was just dumb. But yes, I I was thinking about that today of like the place, um, the difference between like conviction and shame and like how, you know, shame can enter into everything we're probably about to talk about. Like that can, that can be really powerful and good. I mean, in, in bad ways, but how God uses his conviction in really good ways. And it's like this crazy dance that all does a thing together yeah in our rebellion yeah it's yeah. really i it's it's kind of it's it's overwhelming to think uh, the amount of paths that we can take yeah. and the 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 rebellions that we choose to pursue and you know some of it is you know conscious decisions like i mm-hmm. i know this is wrong but i really want to do it Absolutely. And then there's other scenarios where I'm not aware and I just, I'm doing this because it feels right mm-hmm. type yeah, thing. Stumble into and it. So almost. that's, a, to sum it all up is this stage of life is they're trying to figure out who they are and mm-hmm. where they belong by exploring um, different emotions, saying, I really like this and I like the way that this is making me feel in the moment and I'm going to see how far this will take mm-hmm. me. And for some, uh, they will walk a little bit of the way and they're like, oh, I don't like this at all. This is not who I am. 
or some will walk really far and like this is satisfying me to the nth degree. Um, and this could be anything, it could be anything from, you know, relationships to video games to food. It could be mm-hmm. from the whole spectrum of things. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit as you were saying that, I was like, you know, I wonder how much of it, like in my own story, I think some of it was like fueled by control. It was yeah. something that I could control. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just, it's so interesting how that becomes also like part of that bigger picture of like when, as you're growing up, you're becoming more independent and you're, you are trying to decide like, who am I? And I want control of who yeah. that is going to be. I want to pick, <laughs> I want to pick off the shelf yeah. like who I will be, yeah. which is like an incredible, like grace of the Lord to mm-hmm. say, like, I'm going to let you yeah. be a part of the creation process of who you will be. Yeah. But our sinful nature tends to, you know, grab at um, the quickest thing or the easiest thing um, or the thing that everybody's doing. Yeah. Or the thing that looks sexy to the world, you know, of like, I'm going to try this on because this seems, I mean, it sounds so dumb, but it is so true. The like, everybody's doing it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, even just fashion, like those things, when everybody's doing it, it matters when you are in that stage. Yeah. It's powerful. Teenage years, this does not exclude sexuality. Like this is, that is part of the process is they're trying to figure themselves out as sexual beings. Mm -hmm. And we live in America, so everything is overly sexualized. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are also living in 2022, which says you need to pick which sexuality you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, That wasn't as much on as part of the headlines, you know, 10 years ago, 15, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. But it definitely is now. And so for a teenager, that is on the shelf of things that they need to pick off and say, I need to figure out which sexuality camp that I exist mm-hmm. in because clearly there are camps and I need to figure out which one I belong to. Mm-hmm. The reason we're having this conversation is that whole process um, for a teenager today is not scary. They just see it. This is just about developing who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to figure out who I am, and a part of that belongs to my sexuality. For the adults that ha- did not grow up in this era, um, it feels very scary mm-hmm. because we didn't have that really as an option, or not as an acceptable option. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Sure. Um, not widely accepted as right. it is today. And so as we watch these teenagers try to figure out, okay, which sexual camp do I live in? Mm-hmm. Um, we're like, what, (laughs) when did that become an option? Mm -hmm. And they're running with this so fast and so hard because the culture is saying, this is one of your top priorities in Mm -hmm. life. You need to figure this out. Um, before you even reach your teenage years, you need to be, your parents need to be having this conversation with your kids Mm -hmm. and, uh, that can be damaging. 
Um, and we're not going to get into the depths of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of great things you can read about that. I'm not an expert in that. But we do want to say that teenagers have this as an option in front of them, and the adults, um, the current adults, never had that. And so it feels scary. Mm-hmm. And I'll first say that this is not the first time something like this has happened. You know, each, each generation comes up with some sort of new identity option. And the generation before it says, wait, when did that become an option? It just so happens, um, I'm not saying that this option will go away, but it's definitely on the shelf right now. Um, and so we, we as adults in the lives of these kids uh, are really scared for them uh, because they're making decisions we've never had to make before. And so we feel like we can't relate to them. And so we say, well, I know there's at least one camp you can land in that I can relate to, so I hope you land in that camp. And if you don't, we're going to have issues because there's just this wall between us. And you can imagine just like, well, you can even look out now and think like how broken we are, um, even as Christians, to say that this, um, maybe we need to slow down and think about this for a moment and, and think, uh, a lot of the teenage years, if they're trying to figure out who they are, um, just because they're exploring or thinking about all these other identities, it doesn't mean that we should uh, write them off if they're even considering one way or the other. The best thing that we can do is affirm their identity that is most right that they should end up with. If they're in this whole stage of exploration we shouldn't expect them to land on their identity right in the middle of that process. So the only thing that we can do in the time being is to keep preaching the truth so that when they do solidify their identity in a more firm state into adulthood, they have heard the truth more than anything else. But in the process, as a, as a parent or as an adult in their life, it can be scary, um, just like as if it would be scary for Um, a kid to explore something else that we see as dangerous. take this in a slightly different direction. So as we uh, have been talking about uh, sexual identity and uh, the scary parts of watching teenagers today go through that, I do want to remind us, like, this isn't the first time sexual identity has been an issue for teenagers. It's inevitably a part of every teenager's experience because this is the time where their sexuality is going from zero to 100. And it's also been an opportunity and a pool for lots of sexual brokenness to enter into anybody's life in any camp and in any category. What we've done over the years is we've made some more acceptable than others. And 
that's where I really want to zoom out and like, hey, let's take a moment. Let's pause. Let's think about this for a moment. Even 10 years ago, the fact that um, a lot of the science came out and a lot of the acceptability that pornography is wrong. And we should talk about that out in the open. I think that's a huge win. I think it used to be something that was so hidden and so um, in the back burner. And then somebody said, no, we need to actually talk about this and why it's wrong and why it's damaging um, for um, believers and non-believers. Since then, it's been, you know, since doing youth ministry with guys, you know, over the years, it is just a part of any conversation as any other. And uh, there's a lot of agreeance, like this is an issue. And it's not, a, it's not a problem for a kid, but it might be for another kid, but they want to get through it. And they say, how do I handle this as a Christian? That, I would say, is a positive moment. There's still a lot of room to grow. But that's something I've seen, like, over the course of doing youth ministry. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, things can change in a short amount of time about these things. Marriage idolatry, meaning, you know, if you grow up in the Christian church, um, what's expected of you is yours to find a spouse. This is all unsaid. Well, some some circles it's said. Um, this is all unsaid, but that you need to find a spouse as soon as you can and get married and stick with that person as long as possible. That is what I would say largely acceptable um, and pushed. Um, I think we're on the cusp of saying like, hey, let's start thinking a little bit more about Christian singleness and let's validate that. Would you agree with that, Susan? Absolutely. What's, um, I got married rather young. Uh, <laughs> How old were you? I was 22. <laughs> I did the thing. I, you know, I met my wife first day, first class. We dated all through college. We got married right after college type That's thing. Really sweet. So we followed, we followed the, the <laughs> exactly rule book. Exactly what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Susan, did you feel that pressure? Like, oh, I no, 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 I don't no. think so. I, I marched <laughs> to the beat of a different drum. That um, <laughs> just so happened the Lord, yeah, the the Lord needed me to get married early. <laughs> I would have been in a totally different place. But Susan, what what what's been your experience? Oh, I was like obsessed with getting married. <laughs> and did you get married at like eighteen? No. So what did you do with that feeling? Um, I mean, it was always there. I was boy crazy and I dated a bunch of people and was stupid. And then um, it's so funny <laughs> listening to you. I'm like, oh, yeah, you got married so young. And then I was like, so did I actually. Like when I was getting married, I felt like a golden girl. Like I felt like an old maid because I was 26. Yeah. But at that time, I mean, like that was thir almost 13 years ago now. Like that actually was kind of old. To get married because yeah. most of my friends were married by then um, because most of my friends grew up in the church and I mean, we all grew up in the purity culture, which that was heavily pushed when we were in high school of, um, you know, that's like the true love waits, that kiss dating, dating goodbye, that whole movement. And so like, I think there was more of a push for purity. So people were like getting married quickly to have yeah. sex. Like, yeah. That was kind of the onus of, like, let's get married quickly. So um, I I wanted to be married all the time. I mean, like, that's just always – that was kind of, like, the driving force of, like, oh, my gosh. And when you were saying, like, affirming Christian singleness, like, I'm so – I this that's not what this is about right now, but I'm, like, oh, I would love to think more about that because 
I agree with you that it's kind of coming, but I feel like we have a long way to go of continuing to bring that conversation up because I remember my pastor's wife would sit with me all the time as I was like crying over one boy or the next. And she was like, you might not get married. And I remember thinking that is the meanest thing someone has ever said to me. Yeah, (laughs) It felt so mean. Yeah. And as I've looked back on that, I'm like, that was so loving of her because her point was like, that is not the end of your life. Like, yeah. What is God doing with you? It doesn't have to be being married. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it felt like the end of my life if I wasn't going to get married. I did not know something be like, oh my gosh, what would I do if I was like 30 and not married? Like that felt damaging. Yeah. To think of that. Yeah. Especially as a woman in a Christian culture. Yeah. Well, and even thinking another step further is like, okay, you've gotten married and then now you need to have kids. Oh, yeah. What if you can't have kids or you don't have kids right away? Yeah. You're also put in a category that just feels like you feel a lot of shame mm-hmm. with, with that because mm-hmm. you haven't followed the rule book mm-hmm. and followed like generally what you're supposed to mm-hmm. do in these scenarios because that's what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. I remember like coming home from when I moved away from my hometown and like seeing older people that were like parents, friends or just people that I loved. And they'd be like, are you dating anybody? And I, I remember having to actively not be like, no, I'm like, I don't need to apologize. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. I'm not dating anybody right now. Like it. So yeah. Like the subtle ways that like that idolatry of like my end goal is to graduate college and get married. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we, <laughs> sorry, yeah, don't derail uh, no, you didn't <laughs> derail me. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my own story as like, it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Like I went into college, I became a Christian when I was 17 and, uh, girls were my issue. And so I was like, I want to be single. Like I want to be single. I don't want this to be a thing. And I also did not want to be tied down, uh, because <laughs> of my personality. And I met Carrie first day, first class. God is very kind. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, this wasn't the plan. You know, I, I'm supposed to have a free schedule and be able mm-hmm. to follow the Lord with everything that I have. Mm-hmm. And if I have another person in my life, that's going to slow things down. And that is not how I function. Mm-hmm. And that's just the Lord's like, no, I, I need you to settle down uh, mm-hmm. because you're going to be crazy if you don't have a woman in your life. Mm-hmm. Some men are built to be single and some women are built to be single Mm -hmm. and it's awesome. And the Lord uses them in big ways. We know some people like that Mm -hmm. and uh, we love those people so much. We honestly don't know what we would do without them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, It's it's a big deal. Anyways, we're, we are going so far down this. um, We're not talking about that. Um, Obviously we're very passionate about it. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about, uh, and these aren't these aren't one for one things. You know, the Bible says different things about these topics, mm-hmm. but talking about a teenager and as they're trying to figure out um, their identity, especially as a sexual being, what they're hearing is, you know, marriage uh, needs to happen and it needs to happen between a a man and a woman. That's what they're hearing from the church, and I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. But I'm also going to say they're getting other messages. There are other things that, and other people that are saying there are other truths out there. Uh, there are other options to pick from. And so uh, because the teenager is aware of that, they're like, well, I'm going to figure out which one's most true. 
And when you're going through this developmental stage is the way you do that. As you talk to people, you experience people, you get into a relationship mm-hmm. with people and who is going to affirm you the most um, is where you tend to land your camp. Mm-hmm. And right now, the culture is saying, if you can just accept yourself for who you are and love people really well, then uh, you can be whoever you want to be. Mm-hmm. And there should be nothing held back from that. And in a small little window, that's amazing. The world is trying its best to make it acceptable of all people. But in reality, um, as Christians, we believe, you know, we're broken. And um, no matter how hard we try to love somebody fully, we can't do it. And so we have to submit ourselves to somebody who has done that. Um, And under his lordship, he says, this is the best way to live in a relationship um, under the covenant of marriage, mm-hmm. um, which is between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just kind of summarizing something. Where all of this kind of winds, winds down to is um, we tend to have fear when our kids don't end up in the same camp as us. So um, getting back to that point of the fact that I – I don't know how to engage um, with somebody when I don't agree with them. And if I believe in the Christian faith and I firmly believe that these, um, these truths are these truths and my, my kid is exploring something outside of that camp, even on, even on one degree, then uh, it, makes them hard, it makes it hard for you to relate to them saying, like, well, how can they be a Christian if they're exploring something that doesn't belong within the Christian faith. And I'm saying all this, like, uh, there's been a lot that's been said here. Um, I'm saying all this and saying, like, they're just going through that rebellious stage of trying to figure out where am I most affirmed, where am I most loved, uh, and where is the most truth being found. Um, And they're just going to be doing their rounds. And if we're quiet about it, if we're not saying anything about it, on a regular basis, they're not going to be listening to us. If we're not showing up constantly, they're not going to be paying attention to us. The world will not shut up, which is why it's becoming um, more and more appealing to teenagers to, to follow whatever the world is speaking. I mean, you have to think about uh, the amount of content and influence they have today versus 10, 20 years ago. Their influencers are much, much greater than just the adults in their physical present life. Um, Those are what everybody has had in their life and their upbringing are influences of parents and neighbors and youth leaders and all of these great people. But now they have all this online technology of people. They literally have jobs called, I am an influencer. And... It's just, it adds a whole new element to it. And because the internet never turns off, um, it's got infinite amount of voices that never turn off. And so if they are hearing the message from those people louder and more often, and it feels more right to that teenager, they're going to gravitate towards that way. Mm-hmm. And that feels scary. And the, those influencers, instead of like, 
having only famous people speaking into something. It's a culture now where normal, I'm like using air quotes, like normal people have their own YouTube channel or um, a following that is in their bed. You know, they're just in their bedroom making a vlog. And it's like those to me are even more confusing because you would think they're just like me, like they're a normal person and they're just sharing their thoughts and their truth. And I, th- I was reading something the other day about like how scary like the word truth is because, you know, we've gone through different thoughts of like, what is truth? And then the thought of like, there is no truth. And now it's like, you get to decide what truth is for you and your truth might be different than my truth. And that's okay. And that's like the, that's what the culture is saying is like, your truth is what you decide it is. And I'm like, that is just so scary because I would never want to be in charge of that ultimately, you know, like that would probably feel good when you're 16. Um, But like ultimately being the one in charge of what I decide is true. That is a weight that we were never designed to bear and that like we can't bear, which is like, obviously why people are confused in this stage like we've talked about maybe a year ago just like the neuroscience of a teenager's brain is just like not even wired to hold something that's a concept that's that big yeah like that's really hard yeah yeah and we're also growing up in uh an era where the the crossover of the um the real world and the internet world uh tend to blur and especially when they've grown up with, uh, they've always grown up with the internet. And so the, the virtual world and the real world cross over to the point to where it's like, you can't really tell the difference. And I've started to use this analogy in the sense of like, cause my kids have started to ask already, like, do I get a phone? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> and I'm yes. like, uh, yeah, it's a thing, but not anytime soon. In 20 years. But I've, I've started to think of, the virtual world as something that's incredible, like as incredible as um, not quite as incredible, but it's incredible um, on the same scale of our own real world, meaning like the size of it and access to information and experiences. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Mm -hmm. At what stage would you let your child just roam the real world on their own to as far as they want to go? Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. In the real world, we wait a long time. Yeah. Maybe, hey, go play out in the front yard. Then it's like you can play in the neighborhood. And then, like, slowly over time, they can take a little bit more on on their own. Mm-hmm. And then by 16, like, you've got your driver's license. You can go over to your friend's house. You can do these things. You can do that. And then when you're 18, I'll let you out on your own. Mm-hmm. And then when we put a cell phone in their hand, we say, the moment you have this in your hand, is I'm just letting you off to college and you get to explore the world at your own pace. And because for a long time, um, for the adolescent years, um, you don't really have the willpower um, to restrain yourself. Again, this is the stage of exploration. And so you explore until you hit the bottom. And if the internet is infinite, you're going to explore until you hit the bottom. And uh, if you think about exploring the internet to the infinite degree, uh, you're going to see a lot of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to hear a lot of weird things. And with algorithms today, mm-hmm. you're going to hear the same track of things based off what you are continually watching. And so you're going to get the same message. And you'll hear it so often that you'll believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. 
Ooh, it's so weird. It's so weird and it's scary. And I'm not saying avoid the internet. I'm just saying we need to approach it um, in a similar fashion and way in which we approach the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for these kids, um, especially ones we're ministering to right now that have really been the first generation to always have access to mm-hmm. it, always. And they're the, the kids that got cell phones and iPads at the earliest stages. And so they've, they've l- had to learn to navigate two worlds simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Again, we have an episode on that, but it's, um, it's, not as, it's not as easy as having the same, same conversations. This is what I'm getting to. Is it's not as easy as having the same conversations we had 10 years ago about sexuality with teenagers mm-hmm. and which camp they land into. It's way more complicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it takes a lot more intentionality. It takes higher convictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us to influence them because they are starting to become convicted of a truth a whole lot sooner than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can't, if we, if we really want these kids to, to grasp the gospel and we really want them to be safe and we really want them to understand the ways of their sexuality that's healthy and good for them, we first need to be firm in our own foundation in that. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the key to that is, and this is something uh, I was talking to our youth leaders about last night, if, if we really want to inspire the next generation to be faithful followers of Jesus, we first need to become inspired mm-hmm. on, a, on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something that we're just like, here's some information, and you need to deduce which one is more true or which one feels better to you. Uh, that's not how they work. Uh, we w- we as humans work off of inspiration. We do something, we fall in love with something because we were inspired, not because I read something that logically made sense. What about a teenager is logical? None of it. <laughs> it, it. Um, uh, the teenage years are not logical. They're actually them being illogical is the most logical thing for them in this stage. So it's it's a hard it's a hard conversation. And I think anybody that's going to be listening to this episode, I think we're coming at it with the same goal in mind. We really, we want these kids to uh, believe in Jesus and not just believe in him, but understand that everything comes out of him. All of life, the life abundant comes from him. So the, the first step to that is like, where are you personally in your relationship with Jesus? Are you so convicted of the gospel that you are willing to make big sacrifices in order to m- make sure your kid falls in love with Jesus as well? And then from there, becoming aware of, you know, what are the influences in my kid's life? Um, who is influencing my kid to the point to where um, I, I know what they're hearing? But I, I'm also putting people in their life that are going to reinforce the message of the gospel um, on top of, because we already know that uh, the influence of the culture and the world are um, very loud and constant. And so we almost have to co- create a competing voice um, with that. Um, there is, of course, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit that is always going to surpass any of our own work. 
But the Lord put us here for a reason. He gave us our children for a reason to, to shepherd them and keep them within safe parameters. Third, third thing to think about is knowing um, your friends um, are, are vital um, to your child's um, influence because they are watching who you're hanging out with, and they're probably going to find friends similar to that. Um, and with that, knowing your, your kids' friends um, because those are the messages that we're that they're going to hear um, even more than yours. So we just need to be aware of that and, and to um, make that um, a part of the, the upbringing process and, and reassuring that we um, advocate for the gospel for them. Um, it's a big thing. I feel like I've said a lot, Susan, and I want to... I want to hear um, what of this is kind of sitting with you and um, as far as like sexuality goes in, you know, the teenage years in today's day and age, what kind of, what draws out um, something that's important for you or something that you feel like needs to be addressed? I think I can get so wound up in my mind about issues and I think sometimes it's helpful for me to take a step back, like when you were just talking about like our own relationship with Jesus and understanding his word and the gospel. Like there actually is a lot of comfort there. And like I think I can tend to want to get riled up about like, oh my gosh, how can I like protect my kids the most? Or how can I like um <laughs> there's actually a sign behind John's head I was reading while he was talking. It says, the church of tomorrow is stronger because you are here today. And it's talking to John. It's like a sweet note that somebody left him. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's so crazy. Like, we, our job right now is to, like, we're actually like pouring into these people who are, are going to be the leaders of our church in, like, a decade. <laughs> and I'm like, at the end of all of this conversation, the actual goal is that they are just falling in love with who Jesus is and like these things fall under all of that. And that I think sometimes that's just hard for me to lose sight of, of like, I think I want to understand an issue so well that I could like so winsomely talk to someone about it. I'm like, it's really not about me having the right words. It's not about me doing it perfectly. It's actually about me continually pointing someone to who Jesus is and, like, that feels out of control to me because <laughs> I want control. And I just think about parents, you know, a decade ahead of me of, like, I'm sure you feel out of control all the time. And, like, when you were saying just even the friends that, like, I have my kids around that are my friends and the kids that they bring around, like, how just being intentional with my time and that's with my own relationship with Jesus but, like, my relationship with my kids and their friends like that matters. And those are like huge foundational building blocks to have really good conversations that all are based out of trust, which is like full circle of everything you just said of like those things all lay the foundation work to be able to be a voice that someone wants to hear when they're 16 and still in your house and like might actually believe that what you say is true. Yeah. And I think that's just, it's just, helpful for me to step back and say like my biggest 
journey as a parent and as a D group leader is to continue to show who Jesus is because he's going to be the one doing the work and he's the one that's actually already said the truth. He's already said it. So we have it, we can point to it, but he's also the one like continuing to reveal it. And that, that's just helpful for me because that's something I have to continually remind myself because I can get ahead of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It feels, um, feels, I would keep saying it. It feels like a lot and it feels overwhelming. And we're, we're sitting here saying that because, uh, we feel that and we are not these kids' parents. And so we know whether you you recognize it or not, we know that it's a lot for you, Mm -hmm. even more so, Mm because these are your kids, and our kids are not far behind, and Mm -hmm. we're anticipating these (laughs) conversations. (laughs) And in some ways, we are already having these conversations, and uh, it becomes hard. Um, But as we we close, I want to say these couple of things is, our decisions are dictated by our convictions and our convictions come from what we believe to be true. And so if we want our kids to make decisions that are in alignment with us, Mm -hmm. we need to convict them of the same truth we believe in. Mm -hmm. And we are as adults really firm in that because we've gone through the adolescent stage of exploration not that we don't explore things but we don't on the same scale as teenagers do so we need to to become aware of what like what we believe um rather than just helping we can't help somebody make decisions if we don't know what we're guiding them to Mm -hmm. so we need to become aware of that um and i'll give a little bit of taste of the next episode of uh, when we think about that I'm thinking about somebody who is same-sex attracted versus um, heterosexual. Uh, They both have um, sinful opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Both, uh, if you you talk about, let's put two teenagers in a room and one is feeling same-sex attracted and the other one is not. Both have the opportunity to sin with their sexuality. Both would also say that their feelings towards a particular gender are unavoidable. Like, mm-hmm. they can't get rid of this feeling. Mm-hmm. And we can't blame them for that. Like, we can't take their emotion. We can't take their heart out of them. Mm-hmm. But we, what we know um, to be true um, as a gospel, uh, we know that that has a way of changing people. And when you believe and are convicted of the gospel, you begin to change your entire life based off of that one truth. Mm-hmm. And so all of your decisions fall from the basis of who Jesus is in your life. If he is your one true king, then everything he says you, to, you believe to be good. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, you will follow him. Um, as faithfully as you possibly can, but also know along the way um, you need him totally and entirely in your life because you can't always be faithful. Mm -hmm. And if that is your top conviction, your top truth, you have nothing to worry about your Mm -hmm. teenager um, if they believe that as true as well, Mm -hmm. even though they might have these feelings that feel like they're outside of your own camp. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because if their truth is your truth in the gospel, they will be convicted in the same way and make the same decisions um, because you are not their king. You, your parent, are not their king. Jesus is their king. And so that is why it's so important. We need to take these kids not to ourselves but to him mm. um, because that's where everything stops. That's where everything trickles down. That's where all decisions need to be made from. Okay. Episode two will be, what do we do with all this? Like <laughs> we need like a five-part series. We need a five-part series. <laughs> um, uh, we, um, we'll, we'll talk about um, very specific, like what are, what are uh, specific sexual struggles for teenagers and how do we um, walk alongside them in those very specific areas? And how do we apply this information of the upbringing and the exploration stages and the identity making pieces like how do we actually put good guardrails mm-hmm. beside them uh, so that um, when they get to a crossroads would they will more than likely make the right decision mm-hmm. um, and even despite that they may still make the wrong decision um, and how to be okay with that like how to you know walk with them when they do make the wrong decision so that'll be for the next one. Um, thank you all for always being faithful to this podcast. We love it. Um, we're glad mm-hmm. we're back even, um, in this moment. It could be months from now. Who knows? No, I hope not. Um, <laughs> it won't be ministry and life can be busy sometimes. So we don't know what's up ahead we'll for the back. next, uh, couple months, but hopefully within the next month we can get the next episode out. <laughs> all right. Love you guys. Bye.